This is the OT Jedi Podcast, a podcast dedicated to building knowledge about social injustices and inequities in the world of public health and healthcare through the lens of occupational therapy. Welcome to OT Jedi. Before we begin the episode, I'd like to give a little bit of a history. I believe most people think that abortion was never practiced and that it was always illegal until 1973 when the Supreme Court ruled on Roe versus Wade, as if that decision created the practice of abortion. This is not true. In the United States, abortion was legal until the late 19th century. It was practiced by many people and was actually accepted in a certain way. It was really considered a personal matter. Abortions happened quietly and in private. Women have overseen childbirth for most of human history. They'd also been the ones on the front lines of ending unwanted pregnancies or carrying out abortions. However, they wouldn't have been called abortions or they wouldn't have used the term abortion. Back then, it was referred to as restoring the menses, trying to get your period again. It was believed that life began at the moment of quickening, which is when they felt movement. For some women, this might not occur until the fourth or fifth month of pregnancy. And people didn't really wrestle with this as an ethical or even a legal question if women engaged in that practice before or about the fourth or fifth month of pregnancy. People assume there's always been this religious or moral opposition to abortion, but in fact, that's actually really recent. Up until the late 19th century, the community understood that it was in the women's purview. They know their bodies. It was their call. Women can say when or if they felt movement. Today, I am joined by Boston University occupational therapy doctoral candidates, Daria Nemeti and Delaney McKee. They are researching recent changes in abortion laws and how these laws might influence occupational therapy practice. They're working with Dr. Emily Rothman, who is a professor and chair of the occupational therapy program at Boston University's Sargent College. Dr. Rothman has authored peer-reviewed publications that span the areas of intimate partner violence, sexual assault, human trafficking, firearm violence, and pornography. Now, I know that's a short introduction, um, but is there anything else that my listeners should know? I think that's it. I think you've covered it. So uh, the current research project you're working on, right, is focused on the recent changes in abortion laws and how these laws might influence occupational therapy practice. So with Dr. Rothman's publication track record, it's not entirely out of her scope, but how did you determine that this is an area of research for you? Yeah, so it definitely started back in December um, of this of last year, I guess, uh, 2022, and Dr. Emily Rothman was asked to co-chair um, the AOTA jobs post-jobs task force. And so with that, um, there was there was a lot of work being done in order to come up with recommendations, and AOTA was looking for recommendations and resources that may be helpful for providers, occupational therapy providers. And 
Dr. Rothman asked Delaney and I to join on, in on this project and to help with some of the literature search and exploration of any existing materials or resources that may have already been out there, including on the AOTA website or in the literature. And so some of that work then later inspired the three of us to take on an external project and start interviewing occupational therapy practitioners and occupational therapy assistants in order to find out more about how these restrictions have been impacting OT practice. So you look to the literature, but since we just passed the one year anniversary of the Dobbs decision, how, how have you looked at the literature to inform this project? I mean, it's definitely uncharted territory. Absolutely. And that's exactly what we found at the beginning of our literature search when we wanted to find information that kind of mapped out the occupational therapist's role within abortion, abortion care um, related to abortion restrictions. And we didn't really find much at all. And so from there, we decided to look into what other fields may be contributing. And so we looked more broadly on the topic of abortion and recent abortion restrictions and the implications and prevalence of unwanted pregnancies. Specifically, we found materials from some other professions like social work. We found a guide that was specifically um, created for ethical practice in a post-Roe world, and that discussed some of those implications on, you know, what can practitioners say and how can they support their clients, which seemed to very much be similar to the work that we may do as occupational therapy practitioners. We also found a study that talked about the um, implications of an unwanted pregnancy and having to continue with that unplanned or unwanted pregnancy on an individual's five-year life plan and their aspirations for five-year life and really saw a lot of things that we could pick out of that article that were tied to daily function and things that OTs uh, work with their clients on every day. And then I think the last part of the literature search for us was doing a bit of a deep dive into the occupational therapy practice framework and pulling out some of those occupations that are clearly laid out as scope of practice for us. For example, that sex is an ADL and reproductive function comes up in the OTPF as well. And so we also looked through some of the occupations that are highlighted in the OTPF and how those may be impacted by abortion and um, the restriction to abortion access and having to carry out an unplanned or unwanted pregnancy and using some of that literature from other fields that we found. Well, that's really interesting. So uh, the article you found from Social Work that navigating a post-Roe world, is that a recent publication or was that something that maybe the social workers have been anticipating? I believe it was very recent. Let me quickly pull it up and I can tell you. Oh yeah. I threw you a question off the spot, but okay. I'm just sort of curious myself being like, were they seeing, did they see this coming or were they always planning, you know, for these things? Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if they were, they had been planning, but the article is a 2023 publication. And so it is a very recent publication. So the Dobbs decision turned the right to obtain or not obtain an abortion over to the states, which is really quite nuanced. And it's more than just that restriction on women's rights, but in some states, 
there's this aspect of criminalization. And that really runs the gamut of occupational risk factors. And just to remind our listeners, if they don't know all the occupational risk factors, it's occupational alienation, occupational delay, occupational deprivation, occupational disparities, occupational imbalance, and occupational interruption. How do you see the Dobbs decision affecting these risk factors? Denial to an abortion can really lead to all these occupational risk factors, but of course, that's not exactly a specific enough answer. Um, So through discussion, we really narrowed it down to occupational alienation and occupational deprivation. Um, So as Daria mentioned earlier, our lit search um, didn't bring up any specifics regarding OT and abortion. So we kind of began to look through um, like frameworks of occupational justice and really try and apply these perspectives to the topic of abortion. And within that, we found that Townsend and Willocks explained in an article published in 2004 that occupational alienation is the underlying concern. The underlying concern is whether choices are available for all populations to experience meaning and enrichment as they participate in occupations. Occupational alienation is named here as a social condition of injustice, not a physiological state. Um, And we really felt as though that was a good quote to highlight how denial of abortion is really, um, it can affect all occupations and ability to participate in all occupations. And additionally, that forced pregnancy as a result of these abortion restriction legislation um, removes the choice of birthing individuals and forces them, so removes them from being able to participate in occupations of their desire and forces them into this caregiver role. So you're doing qualitative interviews of both occupational therapists and occupational therapy assistants. Posting that I had seen to recruit participants, you had listed 18 states um, where abortion laws have been changed. Um, And since you're still collecting interviews, but is there any antidotal information you could share with us? Yeah, definitely. So we're still at the beginning of our um, interviews. I think we've gotten through about a third of them so far, Um, but there already has been such rich information that we've heard from occupational therapy practitioners in the field right now. I think one very specific story stood out to Delaney and I, and there have been a lot of different stories. This one, I think, really speaks to the argument that abortion may not come up in an occupational therapy setting and kind of counters that um, argument. And so we were speaking to an occupational therapist who works in an inpatient psych setting, and she was sharing that in a group setting, as she's pretty um, often leading groups in her setting rather than one-on-one, There's a little bit of one-on-one, but mostly groups. She had a client bring up her, she's pregnant. She was 14 weeks pregnant. And she brought up that she really was concerned about being held in this inpatient psych unit. She was on an involuntary hold at the time in a state that cuts off abortion at 15 weeks. And so she didn't have the means to be able to get out of the inpatient psych unit at the time. She was very concerned because she did not want to go through with the pregnancy. It was an unwanted pregnancy, an unplanned pregnancy. And so in this group setting with uh, 
other clients that were receiving care in the inpatient psych unit. She was bringing up a lot of these concerns and other individuals also were bringing up kind of their views on abortion and the current state of abortion restrictions in the state. And it just really spoke to this idea that so many things can come up within occupational therapy practice. And even if an occupational therapist is not going to be the person to be within that abortion care practice, um, it may very well come up. And there is a lot of work that needs to be done on training an occupational therapist on how to navigate those sorts of conversations, especially in states where that conversation then can also bring in ethical concerns if there are restrictions in the state on what practitioners can and can't say or do. Uh, And so that was a really powerful story because this client was really in great distress um, and was not able to leave and was likely going to not be able to access an abortion in that state. Yeah, it's a it's a certainly a cascading of, uh, event, right? If they're there for some kind of mental health challenge, this only adds extra weight to this challenge. And then the consequence of being there as this elapsed time then just puts you in a more distressed situation. Yeah, I think some of the big concerns too that that client had brought up were like social and economic resources. And so even thinking about leaving that facility and um, what their resources look like outside of that facility was another point of um, something that was bringing a lot of concern and worry to this client. And the capacity to to parent. Exactly. So how then do I, I mean, you, you mentioned that we're not really part of this. We might not be a part of that like abortion care team, although there are some ways we can think about you know, how we think about hip precautions, we can also think about like, oh, you are having this procedure. But um, how do you feel occupational therapy practitioners can advocate for their patients or or do they feel trapped? I think it's a little bit of both of those. Um, I think what we're hearing from interviewees right now is a lot of hesitancy. Um, But in addition to a lot of hesitancy, it's a lot of a want for more ability to advocate for um, for certain clients, for their role as occupational therapists, for our scope of practice. And so we have seen so many of the interviewees that we've talked to talk about how for them advocating feels um, like getting educated on what's going on in their state and how current policies may be impacting their clients, how these policies may also impact OT scope of practice. And so we have some of those conversations in our interviews. And for example, we had one uh, interviewee mention she works in maternal health. And she said that one of the most important and helpful things she's done recently is attend a perinatal mental health training. And that this was something that she thinks so many people in uh, maternal health uh, should do this sort of training because it really helped her to um, hopefully be able to use some of these skills and in a place where these skills may be even more necessary now that there are these restrictions. So I think there is hesitancy, but there's also a lot of courage in um, pushing past a little bit of those hesitancies and wanting to really seek out information that will better support clients. With those hesitancies, right? 
completely justified. But then there are some states where aiding in obtaining an abortion comes with the risk of criminal charges. Do you, have you seen that in your interviews? Like, do you do the occupational therapy practitioners feel safe, like that truly, truly safe to advocate for their patients? Yeah, that's, I think that's been the toughest um, thing for a lot of occupational therapy practitioners is that they, what they're asking for when we ask about, you know, what resources could be helpful? What are you looking for to be able to like do your job? And it's really like what they want to know, what can we do? And what can we say? What can we do? And right now they don't know what that is. And so there is a lot of just having to be silent on these issues and on these conversations and really not knowing what to do. So there is definitely there. We have heard from interviewees who have said that they really don't know what to do. And so they don't do, they can't say anything right now. Um, and they'll just have to kind of redirect or um, push that conversation to someone else because they're not sure how they can have that conversation. Even like we've even talked to some professors who are OT professors and who feel the same way about what they may or may not be able to say in the classroom. That's interesting. And the education front too, although that's what tenure is supposed to be for (laughs) originally, right? That you could have your political opinions and not be penalized or lose your job. So when we consider the American Occupational Therapies Associations, they had a 2020 revision of the Occupational Therapy Code of Ethics. And then just to review those, they have the core values, which are altruism, equality, freedom, justice, dignity, truth, and prudence. And then their principles of beneficence, non-maleficence, autonomy, justice, veracity, and fidelity. Now, these core values and principles guide our practice, but now some of them conflict with state laws, depending on the state that you're in. So there's this paradox in our core values of justice, which states upholding moral and legal principles and having the knowledge and respect for the legal rights of recipients of service, which could speak to universal design, accessibility in buildings, services for students in schools. But then it continues to say, occupational therapy personnel must understand and abide by local, state, and federal laws governing professional practice. So how do you see this contradiction with the Dobbs decision and its relation to our values? Yeah, I mean, it definitely is in direct contradiction with our professional values. I think a larger conversation within the profession needs to start occurring regarding what abortion restrictions mean for our clients specifically. So if these, you know, if the OTPF is an occupational therapist Bible per se, um, as we're taught in school and we spend so much time in OT school going through um, the OTPF and, you know, making sure all of our assignments are directly correlated with the OTPF, then there's this contradiction now is if we're looking at equality, freedom, and bodily autonomy, regardless of your own individual views on abortion, it's clear that the Dobbs decision impinges on equality, freedom, and specifically an individual's bodily autonomy. So I think we need to take a step back and really think about the responsibility we have to be advocates for our clients and what that can and should look like moving forward as we're now a year past Um, the Dobbs decision. There are many laws and restrictions 
being passed, depending on the state, anti-trans laws, constraints on gender-affirming care, restrictions to LGBTQ rights, and many other infringements of civil liberties. Do you see the work that you're doing focused on recent changes in abortion laws and its influence on occupational therapy practice as being able to translate to these other restrictions of freedom? Um, you can't speak about the overturning of Roe v. Wade without addressing the detrimental effects that it has on the LGBTQIA plus community within the OTPF itself. Gender identity and reproductive functions are both defined as client factors. Um, and it's important that we as OT practitioners um, have knowledge of these functions and understand how they interact and overall support health, well-being, and participation. And it's important to educate ourselves about how abortion restriction legislation, as well as anti-trans legislation, can impact our clients, specifically the mental health piece I would like to draw attention to. Throughout our interviews, we're uh, having practitioners both report and predict that there have been detrimental effects on clients' mental health as a result of these laws. Um, and as we consider ourselves mental health practitioners, it's really imperative that we equip ourselves with the best resources to be there for our clients and be able to support our clients because they will inevitably be affected by these bans. Yeah, it's it's all a very interesting time. There was a, a workshop that I did not attend, but a colleague had attended about supporting clients who have just received gender affirming care. And I was like, well, that depends on what state you're in, doesn't it? A com a, certainly a complex time. Is there anything else you would like to discuss or anything else that we should know? Yeah, well, additionally, I don't think we can discuss abortion bans without addressing that Black women specifically will be most affected by these bans. And the CDC reports that Black women are actually three times more likely um, to die from pregnancy or pregnancy-related causes than white women. And 80% of these deaths are actually preventable. So you know, given that abortion restrictions will detrimentally affect Black women, these further it will just further these health inequities that are already existing. And I think it's also important to draw attention to that AOTA um, in 2019 reported that 84% of OTs are white and 91% are women. And given this, I think it's, you know, we need to start having conversations within our profession about abortion restriction legislation. Well, once again, I would like to thank you so much for being here um, and for taking the time to answer questions in such, again, a complex time within our profession and our country. Thank you again so much for, for being here. Thanks for having us. Thank you. What was once a private and personal matter for women is now an issue that is front and center in the national conversation. This presents complications for occupational therapists in terms of how we practice with our occupational therapy practice framework, how we address occupational risk factors, and how it muddies our occupational therapy code of ethics. I would like to thank Daria Nemedi, Delaney McKee, and Dr. Emily Rothman for embarking on this research. Thank you for listening. This has been an episode of OT Jedi.